bum bum bottom 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 You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. I think so anyway, but I can't hear myself think through all this terror. The alarm is alarming, and each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. But not today. That klaxon tells us we're calling an emergency session of the podcast to discuss this week's giant size X-Men number one. Written... That's in quotes, and illustrated by Russell Dodderman, and how this helps define or reaffirm or destroy the relationship between Jean Grey and Emma Frost. Uh, why are we doing an emergency podcast? Because we love Jean Grey and Emma Frost, and we are partaking in the Jean Grey Emma Frost week over at AIPT. We have an article that's gonna drop on Sunday about Jean. Scott and Emma, and uh, we've been anticipating this comic for a long time because we love, 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 love Jonathan Hickman's House of X, Powers of Ten. It's one of our favorite books in recent memories. But as much as we love that, it has kind of skated around the relationships of our three favorite characters or at least our two favorite characters, Scott and Jean, and how they relate to Emma Frost in this new Krakowin world order. Uh, so we were extremely excited to see how he was going to further that story or properly define that story, as Lisa said, in this issue. Lisa, did he do that? Do you feel like you've got uh, a, a, a positive take or a take at all of this relationship of these three mutants based on what we read today? Absolutely not. <laughs> I did not. Um, I do think that you get a glimpse into the two ways that Jean Grey and Emma Frost perceive the world. They go into this story having to collaborate, and each of them brings something different to the table. But I do feel like when they're in, when they're at work, when they're both doing their psychic stuff together, you, there is a mutual respect there that yeah. cannot be ignored. And and I love all of that stuff. And, you know, Russell Dowderman's art on this book is unreal. It's so crazy gorgeous. Some I of want... my favorite, favorite versions of these characters. I love his use of just beautiful jeweled tones and everything just feels so rich and otherworldly. I just love exploring this space. But to your point, he's depicting a lot of at work. And I feel like Hickman, because he is exploring this new uh, way of being for mutants on Krakoa, he's doing a lot of at work depiction and not as much character. And that stuff that I'm really like hungry for and, and what I, I really just want to know, like what's the living arrangement at the summer house on the moon? Wolverine's always there. You know, there's been a lot of like fan speculation about this like menage a trois situation that's going on between Gene Scott and Logan. I want to know. 
polyamory, perhaps, for the first time. Right, but that's not going to happen in this comic book today. No answers. Yeah, if you're looking for those, I think you really should be following what Hickman is doing with Lionel Francis Yu in the regular X-Men monthly book, uh, because this, this giant style, it's a Russell Dowderman story. Uh, it was actually done in the Marvel style, meaning that Hickman gave a little plotting, a little direction, but then he kicked back and let Dowderman do his thing. It's so funny, as I was reading this issue, Lisa, uh, I was going, oh man, you are going to be so frustrated because Lisa, you do not like wordless comics. I wouldn't say, um, I wish, I wish that I liked wordless comics, but I have a very hard time interpreting them. And I don't know what it is about my brain if I just am not detail-oriented or I just feel like this is what I think it comes down to is to me, I always see infinite possibilities. So if it's not written out for me, I'm like, well, this could mean anything. And so... Brad looks at this and he, he and he just follows the plot perfectly. And then I come up with my little interpretation and it's straight up wrong. I just, uh, to me, I just, I like, I'm a words person. I'm using a lot of them right now. Um, <laughs> I When I read, I tend to notice the dialogue more. And you can tell a lot in our podcast. Like I'm so into quotes because I like, because to me, like that's evidence yeah. for my interpretation where um, the images, I just feel like they feel so squiggly wiggly and undefined to me. And I don't notice details. Like there's stuff that I just completely I miss. I think it's a practice. The older I get and the more comics I read, the more and more I enjoy wordless comics. But you're very visually oriented. Sure. Where like, especially like when we're on our film podcast and we're talking about movies, like I'm always into the script and into the words where you actually notice like, oh, that was that kind of shot. And did you notice how? And I'm like, no, I noticed nothing. <laughs> you would think that I watched the movie with my eyes closed. That's just not my brain. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, Maybe I, there are others who feel the way that I oh, do. Sure, I hope I'm so. Sure there, I feel, I'm sure there's lots of others who feel that way. It makes me feel like a dum-dum. No, no, you're not a dum-dum. We all have our tastes and the things that we gravitate to. And when I was younger, I was much more like you. I just feel like now I, I, I love it when a comic says it's a comic. Like it's a visual medium. Let's celebrate the sequential form. Russell Dowderman, do your thing. And he does. And, he, and it's beautiful. I can tell by looking at it that's beautiful. I just can't tell what's yeah, happening. You flip through it. You're done. Let's I on. looked hard. Look I hard. looked super hard. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, and, and when I see it's a wordless comic, I slow down and I always read it twice, Ugh. if not three times. This I read four times, and then I went and I read the new X Men book four times. But I also went to work today. You, you did. I, I wrote three thousand words today, Lisa. Crickets. She don't care. She don't care. <laughs> Credits read as follows on this book. Jonathan Hickman, story and words. Russell Dowderman, story and art. Um, so what's the basic plot? It's a riff on Grant Morrison's new X-Men number 121, which was another nearly wordless comic involving Gene and Emma traveling into Professor X's brain for a psychic rescue. That's also the issue where we learned that uh, Professor X, he had a twin. 
In utero. In utero. Yeah, yeah. That's how twins work, right? Yeah, I think so. I was opted out of sex ed. <laughs> uh, but in this story, at the beginning, uh, Storm is discovered wounded and unconscious. Uh, the abilities of Jean and Emma are required. The two enter a chamber where the words silence, psychic rescue in progress are written in Krakoan. Those are the same words that we see in New X-Men number 121. Uh, inside Aurora's mind, we see a vast grassy plain, very much like a Wakandan veldt or T'Challa's ancestral plain. Uh, instead of Professor X's Tower of the Mind, we see a grand tree stretching skyward. Uh... My favorite moment in this comic is that when they approach the tree, Jean and Emma, uh, we are greeted by a lion and a lioness. And Jean and Emma try to like say, like, hey, we're friends here. Uh, we're not unwanted interlopers. Here, let me show you a memory that I have with Storm. And she pulls out from the, the grass, from the dust, this image of Storm and Jean embracing. Jean's wearing like that X-Factor attire. And then Emma does her best to show that she belongs here. And all she can find is a memory of Mohawk Storm and her uh, battling it out. And immediately that sends the lion and lioness guardians into attack mode. They transform into snakes and, and go after Emma. I love Emma's image of just going like, uh, this is my relationship, shoulder shrug. Of course, Storm's mind retaliates and you see like these massive snakes and Emma Frost has to go diamond mode and she is full punching. And then Jean has to resolve the issue. And like everything from here forth just seems to me like Emma Frost is in the way. Yeah, what does she actually achieve in this comic? It's hard to say because you're right. Jean is the one who rescues Emma in that situation. And going forward, when they reapproach the tree and we see um, uh, Storm's face in the clouds looking down and then they enter the tree and they start their their journey up across that staircase. Like, what is... What is Emma doing in this situation? Clearly there's like a splash page where we see Emma and Jean and they've got the psychic energy coming out of their foreheads and they're thinking really hard. But is Emma contributing anything in this moment? I like not from what I can tell. Like she doesn't Emma does not have a she does not have a, a, a an elephant butterfly moment in this comic book. She really doesn't. I think maybe it's her idea to pull the flower. Oh, right, right. It is, I, maybe, because when they get to the top of the tree and they find the egg, uh, the little resurrection egg, we see like this little metal flower coming forth and Emma and Jean exchange the questions, metal, machine? And then the two of them, another great panel. This is, maybe this is my favorite panel. It is great. Of, of Emma and Jean just looking cross-eyed, side-eyed There is a lot other. of side-eye. We skipped over some great side-eye in the beginning. Oh, we did? We did. When um, they're about to enter Storm's mind, and the first thing that <laughs> Emma does is take a hit from a 
flask she keeps tucked into her boobs. Yeah, yeah. That's almost a direct lift from that new X-Men comic, too. A similar situation happened before they went into battle in that comic. Just so I don't get corrected, it's not in her boobs. Uh, it's tucked into her, like, little shifty little jacket <laughs> thing. <laughs> but uh, but it might as well be tucked into her boobs, because it's all I can see. When it's Emma Frost, that's all we think about. Right, but... Yeah. But at the same time, it's not like Jean is like, you stop that. She just kind of glances at her like, oh, Emma Frost, you can't work with her. The end. That's the end of the sentence. <laughs> like at the end of the comic, you know, before they pull out the flower, is that Emma saying like, we got to do this? Because Jean and Emma exchange a look. And then we have that panel of Emma like tightening her glove and then they go in to grab the and metal she, flower. And she is the initial grabber. Oh, yeah. It's Emma, her yeah, yeah. her feet and her hand that grab that flower. And But then, like, there's all of this cable attached to the base of the flower. And so then it takes the both of them. So I guess that's her contribution. And But what is the effect of that, right? Well, it's what gets... Aurora out like I don't think that the flower is part of the machine I think the flower is Aurora trying to reach out of this egg mm. and then the tendrils the machine is what's holding it down that's interesting I hadn't really thought about it that way and so we see Storm and she's all covered in yolk and goo and gold and look Emma like Jean looks so genuinely excited to see her friend. And then, like you get the impression like this is how it was always going to go down. She always had confidence that she was going to rescue Storm from this situation. And Emma looks nauseated. Does she look nauseated? She looks disgusted. Or does she look suspicious? Oh, really? Because I, maybe I'm reading suspicious in there because I know I think the you're outcome. right. I think you're right. But that doesn't stop Jean from embracing Storm, touching her beautiful face. I, it's so yucky when she pulls her hand away and you see all of this. It looks like just gum with like little like lattices in there. The like kind of honey honeycomb shape of machine. Yeah, and we see Aurora's T-800 face. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Uh, and they don't. But she's still herself because on the next page you see that save me. There's Aurora is still in there. Yeah, the lightning. Yeah, save me. So, you know, you're saying that what does Emma do in this entire issue? What does either of them really do? Like Jean doesn't rescue Storm from this situation because the book ends with uh, Jean and Emma coming out of the chamber, Scott and Logan hanging out, waiting for their ladies. And Jean's like, she's got a techno virus. The uh, children of the vault infected her and she's going to die in 30 days. Do you think that this was some kind of trap that it was in, like it was intentionally set so that they would find her and get the countdown? Oh, the, on her head? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. And then so that would leave the entire thing to be an utterly fruitless adventure. Yeah. But I mean, ultimately, if they're going to be able to save her in time, they would need to they would need to have the countdown anyway. Well, and they need to have the knowledge that she is infected by the machine virus. Really, that all that is happening in this comic is a diagnosis. 
What do we know even about the relationship status of any of these characters? Because they are different iterations than the iterations we've gotten to know in previous comics. And even though it's been hinted at, I don't think that there's any kind of romantic diameter that's been defined. Right. And that's if I had a big frustration with what Hickman's done in the recent X-Books is that you know, what is everyone's relationship status on their Facebook We're pages? in it for the melodrama, friend. Right, right. You know, we do know that uh, Scott and Jean are up on the moon with the summer kids. Wolverine is hanging with them as well. You know, that opening scene where Scott and Logan see Jean off, Jean plants a, a little smooch on Logan's cheek. But she's walking to the door holding Scott's hand. Right, right. And after that cheek kiss, though, uh, Cyclops, he puts his hand on Logan's shoulder. So they're, you know, they're, and then, and, and Jean's like looking back over her shoulder, you know, a little bit bittersweetly. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot being teased there. Uh, I, I want that story. I want more of that story. We're, we're all thirsty. Yeah. And, for then that. As, and as far as like the Emma Frost situation and where she falls in the relationship uh, between Jean and Scott, I, I really don't know. But there is an appeal to watching Jean and Emma team up reluctantly to do what they do, right? Yeah. And it's hard to tell what their actual feelings are towards each other because. I feel like Jean goes in with her heart open. She is going in to find her friend. Where Emma, she's going in a little, she's taking a hit off the flask, and she remains very emotionally distant from the whole whole thing. Which I think is interesting for someone, for a telepath who works so intimately with the human mind to kind of like go like, I don't really want to get my emotional mitts dirty. I think it's playing a little bit to her defensive nature as being the one time baddie. You know, she knows she doesn't really belong in the head of Aurora. She is the true interloper here and the lions know it. Yeah, they do. But at the end of the issue, after Aurora has revealed this sickness that she has, Jean goes in to, to embrace the collapsed Aurora, and Emma Frost looks on for a moment, but then she joins the embrace. So I think that she really longs to be part of this family, yes. but I think that her heart is in full-time diamond mode because of her past. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot like what we've been talking about with... Uh, rogue in our Gambit and Remy conversations, right? Where she is a prisoner to the events that came before. The difference being Emma Frost is guilty of her crimes. <laughs> well, you know, uh, the Cody situation, Rogue is certainly not guilty, but you know, the Ms. Marvel thing, R Rogue's done some bad stuff. Rogue's done some bad stuff. So's Jean. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's murdered entire galaxies. By accident, <laughs> on a whim. Uh, not by accident, she was hungry. Well, she was hungry, yeah, yeah. She had to get- Hangry. She was hangry. Uh, Lisa, going forward with 
X-Men and, and going forward with Gene, Emma, Scott, Logan, what do you want for these characters? I want what I want for all characters to ultimately be happy. And if what makes this iteration of Gene, Scott, and Logan happy is to be a family unit and be a triad, I'm down for it. A triad, sure. Like Logan, Scott, Gene. I will Emma? never forgive Emma. You'll never forgive Emma? No. She violated <laughs> violated Scott's mind. You blame Emma in that situation. You don't blame Scott. I blame them both. <laughs> I, you know, oh, you caught me being very <laughs> sexist. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You know, if you go back and you listen to our fourth episode uh, over a year ago at this point, where we talk about the new X-Men run and the psychic affair between uh, Scott and Emma, it, it, it was very complicated. It, we A whole bunch of emotions came from both of us. But uh, what makes me go like, I'm not forgiving Emma is that she saw a weak spot in Scott and Jean's relationship and she used it to her advantage because Scott was feeling this insecurity about Jean having all of these powers and Emma entered his mind and manipulated him into using what she knows about him but to her advantage. I don't know what I'm Jean, trying to say. When Jean went into Emma's mind and they had that brawl, Jean uh, discovered that Emma did truly love Scott. But that doesn't, like true love doesn't justify what Emma did. She was being manipulative and predatory and... I don't know. I just, I don't forgive her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your team jot all the way, never scamma. Yeah, but you can add a little Logan in there. <laughs> a little furball in the middle. Uh, you know, based on that fourth episode that we did and how it ignited the most heat we've ever had from our listeners uh, before or since, uh, I, it has pushed me into a bit of a, uh, uh, I kind of like scamma. And I especially like how Grant Morrison left it with Jean dead yet again. <laughs> and in her death, before she went away, she knew that Scott and Emma had to be an item for the future to remain safe, to keep back yet another apocalypse, which is very convenient on Morrison's uh, part to put Scott and Emma together. And so I do, I, I do like, their dynamic a little bit, but that's just me also stirring the pot with our audience and with you're other, pandering is what you're doing a little bit because yes, at the end of the day, I am Team Jot. Same, and I won't I won't lie about it. <laughs> and you won't lie about it, like Brad. Well, again, going back to our last episode, we established that Brad likes to lie depending on who he's talking to. <laughs> the last little thing I want to talk about with this particular issue, again, going back to the Russell Dowderman art is Jean's costume. She's wearing an outfit that is very much like her X-Men red uniform, but with the coloring from the 90s uh, outfit that she wore. Uh, do you like this uniform more than what she's been uh, dressing in with the other Hickman books where she has like that, uh, you know, the pleated skirt and the yellow face mask? 
I think that this is more sensible if sure. you're getting, you know, if you're doing physical activity. Like, there is no situation where wearing a skirt does not hinder you. It is a stupid piece of clothing. Okay, I agree with that. But, I mean, if you were uh, designing the costumes, would you choose this costume over the other one? Or is there another jean costume you would like to see her in that she should be wearing? I mean, I love the 70s era costume. Like, if I was going to the do- The pleated skirt. I don't, it's not a pleated skirt. If no. you look at it, there's no pleats. Is pleats it, it's a skirt. I don't know what pleats are, Lisa. Pleats are like little folds, like you would think like Britney Spears. Sometimes it has baby, folds. Baby, baby. Oh God, no. What is no, supposed no, no. to no. know? If you really want me not to like that outfit, <laughs> that's how you do it. Yeah, but it, it's not like that, because that has pleats. Okay, like okay, a Catholic okay. schoolgirl skirt, skirt has skirt, pleats. Skirt, skirt, okay. So uh, you do like the skirt. I love the skirt, but I wouldn't wear it to work. Like if I was doing physical activity, I would much rather, like I love the the dark phoenix costume mm. with the um, phoenix symbol on the chest and, and the then sash. and the sash and the the tall gold boots. Like I love that. Yeah, my favorite costume is the red and yellow X Factor costume she yeah. wore in the uh, early '90s, late '80s. But I also do love the new X Men uh, leather outfit with the, especially when she's got the big old coat on. I think that there's room for all of these outfits in her closet. Like, to me, the outfit you just mentioned. Yeah, the new X-Men, yeah. Um, like, I would wear that to, like, a club or if I was, like, going to shopping. Like, that would be, like, my casual streetwear. And then, like, the if I was going to, a par like, a dinner party, I would wear the skirt. yeah. Yeah, I think if I they all look great. They, they all look awesome. They're all made for Mondo posters. I want I want uh, so many so many Jean portraits that, on I, my walls. I would say that the X Factor one is my least favorite. Oh, why is that? Um, it's so red. It like is so hair. red. I mean, if we're going by power of redness, you definitely pick the most red. I think I like that one the most because it was my first. That's the costume she was wearing when I was reading X Factor uh, initially as a teenage boy. Um, I, I I definitely think it is strange to see her in the Hickman uh, U books going around in the old skirt outfit. It doesn't seem practical in any way. But but it is cool looking. And you Jim wouldn't Bartel put that nails it on covers. Well, yeah, but you wouldn't put that dress on unless you're trying to say something with it. I think that she was would be wearing that dress for a reason. I think that is characterly motivated that kind of nostalgia. Yeah, and uh, I think Hickman has even spoken to that point where this is when she was Marvel Girl yeah. you know, in her prime. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Uh, all right, so that is going to do it for this emergency podcast episode. Has the emergency been abated? Should I stop the noise, the klaxons? Yeah, we, I, yeah, we can stop the klaxons. We don't. Need I imagine I, Brad does the editing, but I imagine that the klaxon is going for the whole episode. <laughs> it's probably going on a longer than the audience wanted. Uh, Sorry if I we alarmed it. you. <laughs> um, so. I, let us know if you enjoyed this. Should we do more mini review episodes? I think yes. You I had a great yes. time. I had a good time. I had a good time too. Uh, so expect maybe some of these more in the future. Uh, don't forget, go to AIPT, Adventures in Poor Taste. Be on the lookout for our Emma Frost Jean Grey Week or Jean Grey Emma Frost Week article. Um, we write specifically about 
our reaction to schema back in the day uh, and how I feel like some of you guys should just chill out. So yeah, find that at us and let us know what you think about it. And this next week, don't worry, we're going to get back to our regularly scheduled programming, diving back into the romance between Rogue and Remy, as seen in Kelly Thompson's Rogue and Gambit miniseries of the same name. I've been getting some flack about saying that Rogue should feel guilty about taking her glove off. Oh, yeah, in uh, that uh, Howard Mackey miniseries? I just think that uh, she feels bad about everything else she's ever done, but when... She does something irresponsible to uh, her boyfriend's ex-wife girlfriend. She's like, screw that lady. I'm not sorry. Yeah. Uh, you know, on that note also, Lisa, um, after we recorded that episode, I was struck with a giant wave of shame because I took a huge dump on Mike Wirango's art in that Rogue miniseries. Oh, no. And while we don't like that, run, especially compared to the Lee Weeks Gambit stuff, I forgot and I need to acknowledge the fact that he illustrated one of my all-time favorite comic book runs, uh, The Fantastic Four with Mark Wade. Oh, uh, I love that book. That is such a good book and the art is gorgeous in that. He draws the best thing that has ever yeah. been since Jack Kirby. So my apologies to uh, Mr. Riringo. Uh, not only did I uh, 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 besmirch your good name, I didn't even pronounce it right. I'm sorry, <laughs> sir. Uh, okay, so Lisa, uh, yes? we got to get going. It's time to go to bed. We stayed up extra late to bring this episode to everybody. I'm sleepy beepy. You're sleepy beepy. Uh, where can our listeners find you online and tell you if you are right about all your thoughts or if you're wrong about all your thoughts? I am accepting only words of affirmation <laughs> at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget. You can email the podcast by writing to cbccpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. How special would that feel to get an email? I'd like an email. Yeah. And Brad, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. Uh, follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast. And uh, you yeah. can commit to this podcast oh. by subscribing oh. to us on Podbean, yeah. Spotify. Yeah iTunes. Yeah. And while you're on iTunes, why not give us the gift of five stars? Yeah, that'd be great. It really warms our hearts and it helps the pod. Why aren't we on Stitcher? We got to get on Stitcher. It probably t takes checking a box somewhere. I think it does. So until next time, guys, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. I'm sorry, I was not listening. What is it? An electric horn or similar loud warning device. I love electric horns. You do? I do. Well, you should know the term klaxon then. Okay. Klaxon. 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 Klax the klaxon. Doobie doobie doo doo doo. Bye. <laughs>